Mayday is brought to you by JordanDene.com. That is Jordan, D-E-N-E.com. Uh, she runs an apparel and accessories company. Uh, it is fantastic stuff. This is functional fandom items. So these are t-shirts, accessories, aprons, all kinds of great things that are themed around fandoms but aren't your everyday looking stuff. So definitely go check them out. Uh, JordanDene.com. Once again, it's J-O-R-D-A-N, like Jordan, uh, D-E-N-E.com. Our organization podcast partner this month is NARAL Missouri. They are Missouri's largest grassroots pro-choice organization working to protect a woman's right to a full range of reproductive health care for over 40 years. They are doing some amazing work. For more information about them, you can go to ProChoiceMissouri.org. That's ProChoiceMissouri.org to get more information about NARAL Missouri. Lastly, our wild card. It is called Geek Girl Brunch. You can find out all about them if you visit their website, geekgirlbrunch.com. This was something that is really cool. Very grassroots. Started uh, up in New York City by three women who were looking to start a women's only uh, brunch group to just talk about geeky stuff and do geeky stuff with fandoms and all kinds of things. You can visit them, geekgirlbrunch.com. They have a map and a list of their chapters. You can also apply to start a chapter in your city if this is something you are interested in. This is Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. All right. I think it's time to talk about uh, season two. I'm talking about season T- two? Talk and, and, you know, not talk. Let's talk about the fact that we have seen the first episode of season two. Sarah, you start. I can say that it it was the quality that I've grown to expect. And there were some really unexpected scenes that I didn't predict. And I don't know if you guys predicted them and I just wasn't thinking enough to think that things were going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I liked I liked the Aunt Lydia aspect of it. Also, Elizabeth Moss, like you said in our text last week, is just acting her ass off, as is everyone. You can say ass. It's okay. I muted it a little bit. Okay. That creep. <laughs> Is that creepy? No, it's not creepy. Okay, I, I was going to say that creeper creepy. guy that works for the FCC. He does not listen to this podcast. Oh, okay. Um, I enjoyed it at no hold part. On, hold on, I got to clarify for Tiana. Do you not know who I'm talking about? I don't know what the guy who is the head about. of the FCC. He's like the the face of hey, net neutrality needs to go away. Oh, that, that guy. Yes, see, now everybody knows. Ugh. Anyway, carry on. Um, I, at no point did it lull or lag or was boring at all. Um, I got to see some of the characters that I was hoping that I would see. I got to see some of the flashbacks that I was hoping to see of the progression that was really interesting. The music was really good. <laughs> I feel like I'm not really saying It's the saying one thing much. I don't remember right now. Um, you know how sometimes the show, and this is a, a thing the show has done before, they'll take a song, like in the trailer, mm-hmm. and then they'll redo it in like a more creepy slow right. way to emphasize the 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 sadness or the drama <laughs> the mood of, the scene. of the show yeah they did that again with that very very first scene that you open the show with the big mm-hmm. part yep and they do a slower version of a song and i thought it was super cool and well done um yeah it was really well done i can't say a bad thing about it it no. was totally gripping my can i say this my husband watched it with me is that bad? Really? No, it's not yes. bad. Yes. So he didn't watch, he only watched like the first two episodes of season one. Right. And I didn't catch him up at all. I was just like, yeah. we're watching this and we're not talking until it's over. <laughs> <laughs> and 
<laughs> and so after it was over, I was like, so what did you think? What did you enjoy? And he and he he was totally on board with it. And he only had like a couple questions. So I think even if you fell off on season one a little bit, you can pick back up with season two and have a few questions. I mean, you know, if you've read the book, obviously you'll you'll pick right up with it. But and only have a few questions and be able to kind of hit the ground running with the second season. I mean, it's it's so good. It's really gripping. I'm so excited to see the rest of the season. I mean, obviously. Tiana, what about you? Uh, as soon as it was over, I was like, where is episode two? <laughs> I, know. I need more. Um, it did feel very like fulfilling in that I got to see where a lot of characters that I was super interested in were. Like, I at least got like just enough information squeaking by to like understand where they are at in life uh-huh. at that specific point. Um, there was a flashback that happened in parts throughout the right. episode that was really interesting and really had me think, like rethinking what I had thought in season one about like the timeline of the breakdown of society. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of implied that it was slower than I had already been thinking because some people seemed unfazed by things that would definitely have me very upset right now. Well, um, well, well, there would have been things that would have had, I think we talked about this, like, why are we not gone already? Like after like, uh, they come in and fire you from your job. But that's later. She's. That's later. No, it's not later. Then the flashback we get? No. Yeah, it is. I don't think so. Oh, it is. You're right. You're right. I'm going out of order. Ah. You're right. Okay. So, like, I want to know, like, between all of the flashbacks we've mm, seen now, I want to know, right. like, how long ago was this one? <laughs> right. It's true. Um, Because. Uh, at the judging from the things that we we can gauge about the way that society has kind of changed the rules on people and not just the the we get a little more information about specifically the breakdown of the United States government in this flashback and even before that where there's like shock and awe you you learn enough about the small changes in society that people interact with every day that would have had me like taken a impromptu long-term vacation to canada um but maybe i'm just paranoid no but um i was really i was really pleasantly um i don't want to say surprised because i wasn't surprised it was like it was just as good as i was hoping it would be i think it's one of those things you're like i was a little like please don't be bad right please don't be bad i think it's your off book you're wanting to avoid the sophomore slump Mm -hmm. yes for sure sure. and especially in your in your head because season one was so great, like you almost don't believe yourself thinking back on it. Like, was it really that good? Oh, like, I already watched it. I was sure. Like, is it? Did you? You know, like, are we going to watch this and I'm going to be like, oh, maybe I was wrong, you know? Mm-mm. But no. No, nope, um, still awesome. What else you got on your notes there? Um, I have a lot of things that I can't talk about. Uh-huh. Me too. Yeah, lots of things. And um, yeah, I guess so. I was struck by how still on character and true to the original characters in the book people still seemed now that they're moving beyond the material of the book i was a little worried about that going in that like would characters be acting in a way that seemed kind of inconsistent with their like root as they were written by margaret atwood and i didn't really have that sense from anybody no Um, and it was nice to see some of the secondary characters that i like really grew fond of in the first season but like aren't actually part of the book and aren't you know, they're not main characters. Like, if you never saw that particular handmaid again, like, maybe not very many people would notice, but I would be kind of sad. Right. So, that was nice. I agree. Yeah, I can't, I really cannot say more, because <laughs> all of the things I want to say are things it's very that I cannot hard. say. It's very hard to discuss something you can't say anything about, which really challenges you. 
It was smartly done. It I was. Didn't. That's all I've got. Um, for me, there was several things that I was thinking as I was watching this. One, uh, we're not the first people to see this, so there's several articles about it, um, about people who have seen it who say, yes, the darkness is for real. And um, I believe that everyone should heed the warning of everyone that's talked about this show, that's been working on this show, when they say it's going to get darker and worse, because this episode in particular especially starting out, um, kind of comes out of the gate darker and harder. Um, and I was afraid that it was going to go a little too far. Um, but it got up to the, in my opinion, I was just afraid of too much and it being too, you know, going over the line of darkness. Um, but it didn't, thankfully it kind of drew back and they reined it in. Yeah. Um, and so there's a couple things. Um, one, it was cool to see some of the things that were in the teaser trailer played out on screen. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was kind of cool. Yeah, some of those exact, like, right, those to see actual the shots, shots yeah, played out very cool. the scene. Um, the other thing is that I thought they did a great job, and I talked about this with both of you a little bit about, and i got to be careful how I say this, but incorporating enough of the storyline and people from last season that we don't have to worry about, Hey, what's going on with X person and think about that the whole time. And instead it gives you the opportunity to move forward with offered story, which is really what this vast majority of the season I think is going to be about. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was awesome. There is so much more for them to explore with. We know they're doing the colonies for sure. So that should be coming up. Um, The other thing was, it struck me that several things in this show that happened that I have zero frame of reference for as a white male in the world. That actual people have had to do and had to go through. And that I, as as me, as a person, and you too as well, but it it really just struck me like, oh my God, someone's actually had to do this and go through all this in other circumstances, not obviously in a fictional TV show. Um, So that, for whatever reason... Just in various scenarios, um, in history and in life, all the time, probably, people have to go through that kind of stuff. So that just struck me watching that. And then um, I thought it was great. I thought I, I agreed with the pacing. I hadn't really thought about the pacing too much. Um, but I know that was one of the things Sarah talked about initially when we talked about it was that the pacing was really good. And it did. It moved, it moved along. It didn't linger on any one aspect of it, I think, because they did have a lot to kind of account for. Yeah, they packed yeah. it in there. They did. But I, it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel like, oh, we're dragging this out. We're doing this too much. It, it felt really good. So I think everyone, hopefully, I mean, we got three different people here who have very different opinions about lots of things. I think everyone will be satisfied for the most part. Um, you're always going to have some people who are. But I think everyone will be satisfied about the content and the way that the first episode, can't speak to the rest of it, uh, was done. So I could not be happier with it. And uh, hopefully looking forward to more. And if we get more, and we get to see more, we'll let you know about all the things that we can't tell you about those episodes. We're going to have to have some, like, Kona Silence chats later. <laughs> I know. Before the season to... starts. The all right, so version. off the top of our heads, because we only have so much time to plan for this show, and uh, we're going to try and figure out what do we know about season two already. Because there's been some big casting news since we talked. You go so let's talk about that news. first. Let's yeah, talk about yeah. that first. So Bradley Whitford... Is going to be oh, in this season. That. Yeah. Did you know that? Do you know who that is? 
Sarah's looking like I'm crazy. Okay, hold on. Let's see if let's see what show Sarah. Let's see what how many shows we can say before Sarah. Did you see Get Out the movie? Yeah. No. West Wing. No. Never. No. You never saw a single episode of The West Wing. I don't have cable. Oh my god. It doesn't matter. It was on NBC years ago. I don't have network television either. You did then. Oh no, I was playing the piano. I really was. I'm only going to accept that as an excuse because I know things. I was going to say, have you met my mom? Yes. I was playing the piano. <laughs> I was going to say that. I was I will not buy watching it. television. I will buy it. Okay. Well, he's going to be on there. If you, I can't believe I haven't seen Get Out. Oh, is it uh, Eric from... Uh... Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Billy Madison? Now see, now see that? Oh, no, that, that, see, that's, you see that's where we, one You that see that where I, we had to yeah. go for Sarah to know who this person is? <laughs> he's Eric Let it be Billy noted. Madison. Sarah didn't know the West Wing. That she didn't know Get Out. That he does. But she knew <laughs> Billy, Billy Madison. Madison. <laughs> We're still friends anyway. That's why we love okay. this show. That's why hey. the show works. You so know. he is going to be on there. And apparently his role is that he is the guy who is, uh, he's commander so-and-so. But he is the architect of the economy okay. of Gilead. Like he, and supposedly he's like kind of a kooky, kind of you know eclectic, kind of weirdo guy and a guy. A shocking development. So he should be pretty good. That I can't believe you haven't seen Get Out. Holy, I can't believe you've never seen an episode of The West Wing. Well, there's only two Oscar movies that I didn't get the chance to see that I super, super want to. That's when you really need to see. It's, it's really good. It's only the only ones that I didn't get to see that I want to see is Get Out and Call Me by Your Name, and I really want to see both of them. You should. But I will. I, I definitely will. Okay. So he's going to be in it. I think he was the most recent one. He's the last one I know of that has been, hey, this is our new cast guy. Uh, the other one was Cherry Jones, who is Rhea will be super excited because yeah. she is huge uh, Broadway she's person. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, the oh. only thing, like when I see her face, I know she's been in a ton of stuff. But the thing I always remember her from is she played Matt Damon's mom in the Oceans 11, 12, 13 movies. Um, when they had to come like bail him out of jail in the second one, I think she plays his mother and comes to get him. I mean, she's pretended to be like a uh, FBI agent or some kind of government official. Maybe she's in that. that uh, she's great pretty much in everything she's done and everything I've seen her in. So that'll be cool. She is going to be June's mom. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad we're having a June's Good. mom. Yeah. Uh, still no news on what Marissa Tomei is. Or who she is. My mom heard that she was a Martha, but I don't oh, know. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know where she heard that, so I can't okay. confirm. That would be really cool, and I love Marissa Tomei. I'm excited about that, but also, like, it's really hard to imagine her in a role where she does little speaking. That's true. Like, yeah. that is just really hard to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, who else? Is there anybody else? What else do we know? We know we got the colonies. Lots of colonies. Anything else? Come on. We're good at this. We do a show about it. No, um, but Tiana and I were super wondering about who that guy is in the trailer on mm-hmm. his knees with a blindfold. And it looks off, like he's about to be shot. And mm-hmm. Fred's behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I really want to know who that is. I don't I don't know who that is. Okay, this is one I was talking about you earlier who I couldn't think of, the girl who's going to be the teenager, like yes. the next Gilead, the next generation. Uh, her name is Sydney Sweeney. That is the name of the actress. Uh, she's 15 years old, and she is going to... Well, this is in an article that I'm reading just right now, so uh, this is not a spoiler alert for me. You can blame IndieWire.com. Uh, she will be a recurring role as a 15-year-old girl who wants to become a commander's wife. So, give her the next generation. Gross. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, I know, right? Uh, leading more credence to the fact that some people think that one scene that is like the big mystery scene from the teaser, which is like in a church of some sort with everybody. Oh, yeah, I totally think, think that's, that's a that's like wedding. a wedding. Yeah. I think it's a mass wedding, yeah. Uh, let's see. Marissa Tomei, Clea Duvall, who is going to be of Glenn's wife. 
uh, which they talked about last season. So I don't know if she's going to be like in the colonies or if that's going to be like a flashback situation. Okay. Uh, but we will get her and she's cool if you've ever seen her in anything. Um, Reed Morano will not be returning because she's off doing awesome things because she did awesome things with The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, she's got a movie, I think coming out this year, that was at like Sundance, I believe, called uh, I Think We're Alone Now. Um, it's supposed to be really good. It's got Peter Dinklage and um, the good Olsen, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. I believe those are the two that are in it. And yes, I said the good Olsen. I'm still accurate. I, I was gonna I'm say, not you, hearing you anything you're saying because now I have I think we're alone now playing in my head. Right? I know. I was gonna, like, you can't you can't say, say that phrase and not start the and song that's in why my head. Tiffany wins over Debbie Gibson every time. It's okay. Sure. Uh, the show. Let's see. The scope of the show will expand. We're going to the colonies. Uh, oh, and they are also going to try and tackle. I have no idea how. Although I will say, I can't say again. Man, it's hard to not right? talk about a thing you watched. Um, that they are going to include more race and diversity issues in the second season because nice. I think they heard the overwhelming chorus of "ha ha ha, nice try," um, when they didn't really so much do that in the first season and right. tried to you know write it off as well. Everybody would just be cool because everybody wants babies, and if you just want babies, then race doesn't matter anymore. Right. It's like a magic wand. Ding. No, it wasn't. That wasn't what they were. That is, that is not what they were mostly criticized for. They were mostly criticized for not even including the minorities. Well, they that's just true. didn't do it. But they also they did not. It's not a, because the they did not. They clearly did not have an inclusion writer because <laughs> the cast did not represent the general United States population, is, which is what you would expect if they were just like waving a magic wand that race, no, race doesn't matter magically. None of the last 250 years happened. It's. That's what it would look like, and that's not even what they did. They just didn't include minorities, generally speaking. I felt like they did as the season went on. Like maybe somebody went, hey, we gotta get <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I could still count them on one hand. Probably. Yeah. And I would say that the vast majority of them were in that one scene right before they went into mm-hmm. the big party. <laughs> uh-huh. I was just going to say, you mean the big party scene? That's yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. Oh, yeah. and according to this, uh, IndieWire.com, I'm just going to source them and give them some props here. Uh, Aunt Lydia's backstory will be a priority. Good. Ooh, I got a, I got a glimpse of that in the first episode, and I was happy. Yes. Um, and we do know from uh, our long-lost interview with Ann Dowd, <sighs> here and referred to as the great phone conversation with Ann Dowd, yes. um, that she seemed to think that Aunt Lydia was a teacher. I can't say it enough just because I love I think she's Sarah. a Catholic school teacher. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, Sarah made sure to make that distinction because yeah, being a public school teacher, she was like, well, <laughs> maybe a Catholic teacher, school Pump teacher. the brakes. They can easy, get away with a lot more. <laughs> Yeah, there's no like ruler swatting going on at public school. No. Not anymore anyway. No, no, Corporate no. Corporate punishment, unless you're in Texas, is a thing of the past for the most part. Yes. Is it anywhere else? I know Texas just like brought it back for fun a couple years ago in some school district. I, I think it's gone everywhere else. Texas is like a caricature now of a state. I feel like that's something Florida would bring back on a win. <laughs> How mad do you think Austin has to be to be in Texas? I know. Austin's like, keep Austin Judging weird. from the people that I know that live in Austin, pretty pissed. <laughs> right. yeah. uh, the Mayday resistance is coming, apparently, according to this article. For sure. uh, we're going to find out some more about them because we really didn't find out anything about them other than mm. what I thought was going to be a pipe bomb was letters. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So letters strewn about the bathroom floor willy-nilly because like you do, I, I guess. Because why Who wouldn't cares? you? 
fall it's just asleep. Just a resistance. It's just a resistance. It's not, not a big, big deal. deal. Nobody cares. It's not a big deal. Nobody's you know coming into that bathroom <laughs> ever. Uh, Luke and Moyer will be re- reunited, and it feels so good. Uh, maybe I'm gonna doubt it's gonna feel good. Quit no. putting songs in my head. Reunited. Yeah. Stop. There doesn't seem to be anyone. The beating I of our hearts. Only sound. Okay. Uh, motherhood will be key, according to IndieWire.com, for season two. I, I think it's been key the entire time. I was going to say, say no shit. As to what. <laughs> and someone, and this is them. Maybe, maybe they now, thought they were talking about now, Silicon Valley. This is IndieWire uh, extrapolating a little here. They said someone will not make it out alive, and they're just talking about the scene, which is the funeral scene, which I think we've all seen from the shots of, hey, this is season two, this is what it's going to look like with the... Handmaids, I guess, in the black outfits with the red veils across their faces. There as they're in I a gra- remember this. they're in no, a graveyard. Hold on, I'll turn the computer so you all can see that. Yeah, I totally don't think I've seen that no, before. No, I've never no? seen that image no. before. It's cool, right? Yeah. So, according to them, someone's not going to make it out alive, creepy. or they're just taking you know like a leisurely stroll through the graveyard, like you do in Gilead. What else are you going to do? Right. It's know, probably might, the might be the most cheerful part of their right? day. It might be the most entertaining thing you do all day. Looking at or the least horrible. for people who are, have finally escaped Gilead. So I think that's what we know. Thank you, IndieWire.com, for filling in the gaps. Um, yeah, we can't talk very much about what we know. Yep. But we enjoyed it. Yep, for sure. We enjoyed Definitely. what we did saw and that we can't talk about. What we did saw. Is that what I said? What we yeah, did you did. Hmm. It's the coffee talking. It was sure it is. It's my inability to talk. Mm-hmm. Hey everybody, it's Justin from Mayday. Hope everyone is doing well. Joining me today to uh, run down her experience as our West Coast correspondent is Lindsay Copeland, writer-director of the film Hedgehog. Oh wait, sorry, I forgot to say uh, Hedgehog starring Madeline Brewer and Ann Dowd of The Handmaid's Tale. Now available to purchase and rent on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Prime Video, and wherever else uh, I guess you can rent and or purchase videos on the internet. Is that right, Lindsay? That is correct. All right. <laughs> so, Lindsay, how are you today? I am great, and I'm happy to be back. All right. Uh, very excited to have you back, and we very, very much appreciate you representing the podcast at Bailey Fest. So, I just want to know a rundown of the day. I want to get the whole story from beginning to end. Um, so, what was it like there? Because I know you got there a little early, and you were uh, out there hanging with the fans. So, what what was the atmosphere like? out there and i've never been there because again we're landlocked here in the middle of the united states so you know for the people that aren't you know los angeles california citizens and residents give us a paint the picture for us if you will all right so uh paley fest for people who don't know is at the dolby theater in los angeles in hollywood at the dolby theater most people know because that's where the oscars are held so it's it's a big place it is a big place. I actually did not know that it's also a shopping arcade. So there's a ton of people just in and around the area in general uh, who are, you know, shopping or taking pictures with 
Spider-Man or all the characters <laughs> that hang out on Hollywood Boulevard. Gotcha. Um, it's, it's madness. So there's like a whole bunch of energy when you're there. And then uh, going upstairs, there were a lot of people who were uh, getting their tickets for Handmaid's Tale. There were other people getting tickets for Stranger Things. There were other people getting tickets for The Good Doctor. And so it was just sort of like a buzz everywhere. But you could tell people were really, really excited. Um, I spoke to a couple people who were waiting outside the lobby. Like, like I was there an hour, maybe an hour and a half before it began because I was super early because I knew it was going to be a big place and I would get lost. So I, I chatted to a couple people who were just like, bopping up and down and couldn't wait to get inside the theater and they were they were I, I was asking people you know what are you most excited about and they were just um just thrilled to be like near the stars of the show and hear what they had to say about it but also they were pumped to see some never before seen clips which we that was a real treat it was we got to see some never before seen scenes from the upcoming series which is premiering April 25th and that was really cool. And then, so, so real quick, real quick, let's, oh, let's, let's pump the brakes there because I know okay. a lot of people are very excited to hear about that. And so, I know you. So, what can you tell us about what you saw? So, the screen, uh, the, um, sorry, the, we saw three scenes. Uh, in total, it was probably about four minutes. We saw a scene featuring the amazing Ann Dowd as Aunt Lydia being extra Aunt Lydia <laughs> towards all the handmaids. Um, them performing an extremely grueling scene, like a very physically challenging scene for all of those actors um, involving rain and knee pads. Oh, yes. So. Oh, yes. Uh, the, we, so. uh, we just did, and you, you might appreciate this being the director of such things, um, the trailer, the teaser trailers that have come out for the second season, uh, one of my things that I, I wanted to do and I've done for both of them is to break them down shot by shot to see just all the crap that they throw at you to try and, you know, get past you i don't think they try and get it past you but it's like here here's everything blah, 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 blah. and so yeah i took it and i broke it down shot by shot and i just put those up this week so people could see them but just seeing that shot i remember that was in the first one way back in a couple months ago and that was kind of my that was my impression was that there was some kind of punishment going on probably for the events at the end of season one uh, so we'll confirm that, but we don't we don't know. Um, I was wondering what they were going to show, if they are going to show like a whole, I didn't figure they were going to show a whole episode, but, you know, with it still being a month up. But that's cool. So it was the reaction in the in the room. Well, we, let's get to, what was the third the third scene? Oh, the set, so, um, so the first was this big, gorgeous, insane, creepy rain scene. The second was we get to see the colonies. Oh, nice. Um, we get to see the colonies, and we see Alexis Bledel as Emily slash of Warren uh, there. We know that Janine is there, too. That was confirmed by Melanie <sighs> when she spoke on stage. I'm so, so upset about I'm, – I'm glad she's alive, but I'm, yep. she's my favorite. Like, she's the podcast favorite because she's a badass, and I love it. Um, but I'm very upset that she's going to be in the colonies. But I am happy she's alive. It was – I'll get, I'll talk more about it, but the way that um, you know the cast and Warren Littlefield spoke about the colonies was very very interesting. It made me reflect on what I had seen, but we got to see it for the first time, and it was so creepy and so awful. And people that have seen you know pictures or clips online, like I'm sure they're aware that you know there's all these like plague doctor looking characters walking around and horses with gas masks and. Um, just insane 
Um, and then the third clip was uh, awesome. It was awesome. It got the biggest reaction from the audience. It was uh, Elizabeth Moss as Alfred um, lying on a table at, at uh, those creepy doctor's offices. Mm, and, yes. Uh, Commander and Mrs. Waterford are there uh, to look at the uh, ultrasound mm-hmm. of the baby. And Mrs. Waterford and Alfred have a very tense, yep. like, tete-a-tete. It was great. And it got a big audience reaction, uh, a beautiful energy in the room being around. Because, you know, I've, I've been to film festivals, and you usually don't have that kind of energy in a room at a screening because no one knows what they're about to get into yet. So, you know, if they're a fan of the director, they'll be excited. But most of it, mostly it's a mixed bag in the mm-hmm. audience where people, you just don't know how people are going to feel. And then afterwards, if they, everyone loved it, there's a great buzz and energy. But to feel that going into the room of these are all people who are fans, like true fans, mm-hmm. was, was lovely. Yeah, just that anticipation, that energy right before. Mm-hmm. I can imagine people were like, oh, my God, what are we going to see? All right, so you got through the screenings, and uh, I'm sure many uh, applause were had, and everyone was very excited. So then the, I assume they bring out the the cast for the Q&A, right? They did. So Madeline Brewer was there, Samira Wiley was there, Max Minghella was there, uh, Amanda Bruegel was there, uh, Yvonne Strahovski and O.T. Fagmanle and uh, Warren Littlefield and Bruce Miller. They were all there. You know, from everything I saw, it was a really cool panel and went off really well. It did. I will say the whole room gasped when they said Elizabeth Moss couldn't be there. Oh. <laughs> it was a gasp, like an audible one, like collectively. I was like, I mean, I, 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 you know what? I'm terribly biased because I understand how often actors cannot be at these things because they're working sure. and or their their schedules just won't allow it or, you know, so they also have families too. Like I know, you know, Anne right. has kids. Um, I believe Joseph Stein has kids. I don't know. I believe but, so. Uh, and they could, they could be. There's a million reasons. It's very hard, uh, even for the actors that live in Los Angeles. It can be very hard to lock them down. And but you know, they all want to be there. Sure. And and because they because they love doing these things. I mean, who doesn't love getting to engage with fans and talk about your exactly. work? Yeah, that was one of the big things when we talked to, we did an interview with uh, Renee Reyes, who's the guy that is in charge of Paley Fest. And he said that's what, that's the feedback they usually get from the stars and the, you know, the creators is they're really excited to be able to be that close and have that kind of intimate uh, event like that because they don't usually get to do those sorts of things. So it, it really makes them excited. And I know the fans are excited. I think they were thrilled to see the clips and to hear people talking and, and what they discussed was was lovely. and really inspiring um i know that people were disappointed that elizabeth moss wasn't there but at the same time um you know she they showed she had sent a little video to say hi to everyone and she was clearly on set in the video that was presented no one was like devastated by it they all had a great time it felt it was a very positive energy in the room that's great so let's talk about uh how did they kick things off as far as the q a went now tell me how all that went down so the the format was they started off with they went down the line with each of the talent asking them where their characters were at and they uh, were discussing you know Janine being in the colonies uh, Nick being in a moral dilemma um, they all could, they all had to be a little bit vague um, 
so, you know, they, it was like, for instance, you know, we know Janine's in the colonies, but we don't really know what else is going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick talking about his, you know, he's having an inner struggle because he knows Offer's pregnant with his baby. Um, with Yvonne Strovsky was so funny because she, she just goes, uh, uh, Mrs. Water, Serena's pissed. Yeah, yeah, you know what I did because that that time. was that was one of the parts I did see. We were so super busy, and um, I was watching that, and she was like, she's pissed. <laughs> That's hilarious. And uh, you got Luke and Moira figuring out how to exist as a family in because they are family because they shared this loss of a loved one, and they're trying to uh, live basically as refugees in Little America in Toronto. And they did. They did let on to that we're going to see a little bit more of like refugee life there. Oh, awesome! And I was very excited about that. That's um, cool. So that was really cool. So they went down the line uh, for that, and then they jumped into what are we going to expect to see this season, and what is it really about? And so the consensus um, from everyone was that this entire season is centered around Alfred's pregnancy and also centered around the theme of motherhood that's taken in a lot of different directions. And Warren Littlefield said this really uh, eloquently when he said that uh, all the characters are in this chess game, all the moves are surrounding the unborn child. And also they are reinforcing the theme this season of Gilead is within you. So even if you get out, does it really leave you? Yeah, they've been really, they've been, there's two things that they've been really um, trying to drive home, I think, in the, you know, since the show's been in hiatus and they're promoting it. It's one, it's going to be darker. And two, it's, it's that Gilead is within you. So I, I keep telling people when they tell you that it's going to be worse, darker, I think we should listen to them because everything I've seen so far, it, it, that's completely accurate. And also, I will say, as far as Warren Littlefield is concerned, Everything that man says is eloquent. He's one of like the smooth, he's one of the smoothest talking dudes I have ever heard in my entire life. He is phenomenal, and Bruce Miller is phenomenal too. You can tell the way Bruce Miller speaks about the show and about the actors that he just there is every bone in that man's body is genuine. He loves what he does. He's passionate about the work. He definitely. Uh, just loves Margaret Atwood and her input in the series. And he, he joked that she sometimes gives them too much freedom <laughs> and that, that that's such an incredible responsibility. But you can tell that um, the issues that are in this show involving, involving a lot of women's issues and women in society that he, he's genuinely like he cares. He's passionate about those issues. He's not, making a show to be topical he's making a show because it's something that's important to him and that i think that's why it's so good he always has a very genuine vibe about him and like there's nothing about it that seems put on or that is him putting himself and his ego in front of the show or the there's a lot of pitfalls there but i think he's done a tremendous job in handling all of it well, one of the things that he, you know, he he elaborated on was how the writers' room is predominantly women, and that there's a very uh, open dialogue there for if he does write something or is hearing something in a certain way that the the actresses uh, and the the writers are feel very comfortable telling him, well, no, actually, I think you'd be a little bit more like this coming from a woman's perspective because he talked a lot about perspective about how there's things he'll just never know. Uh, being a man 
that he finds enlightening working with women and having and and that conversation just is very fluid between them that also that same topic came up with race later on because in the book as we all know uh all non-white people were basically banished from gilead and uh were called like children of ham or something equally horrid yes and uh the tv show you know intentionally was like well we don't want to make an all-white show which is great because that makes it way more interesting, but also way more terrifying because it's way more realistic that there's people of color and queer people and people of different genders in this show because that's real life and that's the world around you. So it's creepier seeing people that are in the, in the real world all experiencing this hell on earth. If, if you made it all white, it would look like some like really fake period piece. Right. Exactly. <laughs> just, like, and I know that was, that was one of the things they were desperate to avoid was to make sure that, especially when we talked to Anne Crabtree, she was like, you know, I'm trying to make this show that looks uh, different, but not like a period drama. Um, and yeah. making sure that they always hit back. And I think that's part of why they did the music the way they did throwing in the, you know, yeah. current stuff is to make sure people know this is now, like, this is current. This is not, you know, you're not watching something from the 1800s. Well, that, and what's, what's brilliant. I love about Anne Crabtree's design is that it is a throwback. I almost, you know, it could, it could be Amish. It could look like nuns from a convent. It could be that, but it's not. And it's, it's its own thing. And then you've got all this, you know, you still have technology. Like when we see Alfred going to the doctor, everything about it feels super white and bright and futuristic, but in a really uh, medicinal, disturbing way, mm -hmm. like clinical. It's very and sterile, so, very sterile environment. Very sterile, very sterile. But there's a contemporary feel too like just you know i mean they use computers they use uh they have sonograms for for uh their pregnancies there which is funny too because then the women are then are expected like when we saw janine giving birth they're expected to just have the baby in the home and right which is still so they kind of that's yeah. the second episode of the season and that is still one of the creepier weirder episodes of anything that I've ever seen. Because I remember watching that and I was like, what in the hell is happening right now? <laughs> it was oh, I loved it. I thought it was so good. I thought it hit the nail on the head for so many themes that they were addressing. Absolutely. Uh, no, it was, it was great. So let's right. get let's do some highlights of uh, the Q&A in the panel because I know you took some notes while you were there. So what do you got? What were some of the highlights, the big ones for you? Um, okay, so w one of the first things was uh, Warren Littlefield, uh, he, he was asked about, they were asked about the colonies, um, and he talked about how they look, you know, from a distance, very beautiful, these um, rolling hills and expansive, just for as far as the eye can see, just gorgeous land, but that the closer you get, it's actually filled with horror. And uh, he pointed out that, you know, the horses have gas masks but the women do not. And, but he also, and then he talked a little bit about how you know, Janine and Emily will both be there and them forming a friendship and trying to find hope in a hopeless place and, and kind of, you know, saying how that's similar to like concentration camps and how people found hope and friendship in, in really dire, hopeless circumstances. So I was 
you know, I was very intrigued by that. Um, I was also intrigued when uh, Warren LaFilled again expanded on uh, that the show will talk more about how all of this happened, how we went from America to Gilead, Gilead uh, in season two. And I was, I was very excited by that, talking, him talking about the moment where that shift happened. And I think people are going to be very curious about that and, and grateful that it wasn't all given away in season one. Sure. Um, I would say when Bruce Miller spoke about um, refugee life in Canada will be explored um, and also getting to see what exists in Gilead that we haven't seen yet because mm. there's a lot we still haven't seen. And I think that that's, there's, there's things about this show that also kind of remind me of why I love Breaking Bad so much, because they're, they're both standout pieces of long-form storytelling and probably the best examples of long-form storytelling for television um, with growth of character, not knowing where the hero is going, and also the idea of playing with evil as an overarching theme of your show, because most shows aren't about that. And so, you know, there's there's a side of human nature that's curious about that and wants to see that. And that's, I think, both shows examine those things very differently. Great storytelling, beautiful storytelling, and keeps people super engaged and uh, makes makes you debate and question and think. And I think that's what great storytelling does. And I think Vince Gilligan is brilliant. Um Oh, one of the things that happened during the Q&A that was great was all of uh, the women from the show, the actor, the women actors from the show uh, spoke about how the show empowered them to, to, to seek out more activist movements. Um, oh, very cool. A, you know, a little, a little talk about Me Too and Time's Up, but um, everyone spoke about how it made them just just feel more open to talking about discrimination, to talking about sexism, talking about racism, talking about uh, the the plights of immigrants. Just so a lot of different social issues that are going on today, and it made them, you know, want to be more informed and more more of an activist. And I thought that was really lovely. Um, we learned a fun fact about Amanda Bruegel that she. Uh, I'm also sorry if I'm pronouncing her name wrong. But I don't. She, no, I don't think you are. I actually because I was doing the news update podcast the other day, and I had to look it up on YouTube with someone that was interviewing her, and that is the correct pronunciation. Okay, good, good, because I could barely hear it when they announced her name because people were like, you know, yelling and clapping, obviously. Right. Um, but a fun fact that I learned about her character Rita is that Amanda puts. Uh, small rocks in her shoes for her scenes because she believes Rita would have a very different type of walk. Um, Interesting. From having to be on her feet all day long and perhaps she wasn't used to having that. And uh, and she also talked a lot about her connection to housewives and how home labor a lot of times is completely underappreciated and undervalued and not seen as work at all. And and she just was seeing that all in a brand new light that she had never seen before. So um, I thought that that was, I thought that that was That's really super cool. interesting. Her character, Rita, is very interesting to me just because it's one we haven't gotten very much of. Um, and yep. It, it, we didn't really know what side of things she fell on. Um, they kind of kept her rather ambiguous as far as the, as her attitude towards the situation in Gilead, um, really only kind of revealing anything about it towards the end when her and Serena are having some scotch in the kitchen. 
um, discussing her son who had gotten killed in the war or battle, whatever they called it. Um, but yeah, she's a super interesting and I'm very excited. She's a great actress and she did a great job because, you know, you couldn't tell if she was really genuine about the fact in the show that like Offered was pregnant. And if it was just Tiana made the point that she's probably happy to have something to do and happy to have maybe a baby in the house. She could doing all the crap that Serena makes her do all the time, which is probably why she's so excited. But yeah, it's just a super interesting character that you really couldn't pin down one way or the other. So it'll be interesting to see them explore that. I know. I was I was thrilled when she said that Rita is the loudest, quiet person. <laughs> um, I thought that that was, first of all, brilliant. But second of all, so true that uh, you always know when Rita's in a scene. And she is a character we haven't seen a lot from yet. But she definitely adds to the tension in the house because you don't know what side she's on. And also, you know, she strikes me as the type of person who's not going to stick her neck out for somebody because she's just trying to survive. Sure. So if Alfred's going to act up and act out, she's going to want no part of that. And and her her finding uh, the package, I think, is very interesting. I feel like that's definitely – they didn't talk about that, but I feel like it's going to come back around. Interesting. Uh, did we hear anything from uh, Max, Mr. Nick, who's uh, – for listeners of this podcast, they know that we uh, – have a uh, interesting relationship with our views of Nick and uh, him on the show. So what did he have to say? So um, he talked a bit about Nick's moral dilemma about knowing that, you know, he's most likely the father of this child and that he is, but he's still a pawn in this chess game that they, you know, they were all talking about was like the metaphor for the whole show um, and how he doesn't really know uh, where he talked a lot about how that's going to become more tested in the show about where his loyalties truly lie and does he know where those loyalties lie in himself? Mm. Because um, what we've seen of Nick so far is that he was a vulnerable person who got swallowed up in a very uh, cult-like atmospheric religion. Sure. Um, that, well, was, I think the sons of Jacob are a religion. Um, and that that's, I mean, that's what cults look for. They, right. they they look for vulnerable people who don't have a lot of family, don't really have loved ones, are down on their luck, don't really have a lot of money, are susceptible. Uh, you know, Nick is like the man of his family. So unfortunately, it's like now he's going to have to decide who he really is and where right. he belongs. Well, and he's got that fallback from essentially his, you know, backstory of it all was he had to take care of his brother. And I think he was a little burned by having spent so much time having to deal with that, uh, that mm -hmm. anything seemed easier. And uh, now you kind of see the ramifications of that and whether he's ready to put all that energy and his life on the back burner to help someone else again. And so it'd be interesting to see that struggle and how that plays out with him. So that's cool. Nick, I, I know some people don't like him, but I do like him. Um, but I'm also a big Max Minghella fan, and I... I, now, I, I will I, say, yeah, I will I say like as, as far as the podcast's concern with Nick, it is purely, purely from a character standpoint on the show. It is not reflective of Max Minghella as an actor, nor his abilities. It is not a personal thing against Max himself. It is just <laughs> the way that they dealt with his character on the show, and I think we had issues with what the hell is he doing and you know why I think the the best one was when they had the episode with the Mexican um you know contingent that was there and yeah. she was in there and he called her Alfred and she, she said it's not my name and we were all like come on Nick get it together 
just, it was just like everyone was just this collective frustration with Nick not really picking a side or really doing anything for anyone. And no one really knew why. It was just kind of frustrating from a viewer standpoint for us. So, but no, not not a not an indictment on uh, Max's ability at all. One of the things that I like about Nick's character is I think that he is meant to be frustrating because he kind of represents how most people are in in a situation like that. In terms of not everybody's going to be a crusader, not everybody's going to be a warrior, and not everyone's going to be out for themselves. There's going to be a lot of other people who are, I don't want to be involved, I'm just going to take a step back, I'm not really in this. And and that's that's something that none of the other characters really embody. And a lot of them are, you know, their their life and death is on the line for them, especially the handmaids. But Nick is just an ordinary person who got caught up in this, in this whole regime. And I think that's what he is. He's an ordinary person. And that's why people are frustrating because most people don't want to identify with somebody like that. They want to identify with a warrior crusader or just someone who has a really strong personality and is going after what they want, not somebody who's got a foot in both camps. Yeah, I think, I I think you're right. I think the, you know, the vast majority of the population of people would be that person who is kind of, I'm going to self-survival more or less because, you know, people are about themselves by and large. I think that's not something that is incorrect. Statement, but, but yeah, I think you are very correct. In that it's an observation. I'm not telling people to like Nick. You can hate him. I don't care. <laughs> we don't, we don't hate him. We just don't, we don't know. We need to know. We need more information. It's like a word problem. I do not have enough information to complete this. So frustrated with Luke. To be oh man. No, we see now Luke's character, we have a definite opinion on, and that is that Luke, for the most part of the first season, was just, come on, man, seriously. Just like most of the time when he spoke, that was our opinion. Seriously, what is happening? Like, he represents a, a, a large population of, I think, the male portion of the United States. That would be like, oh, it's cool. I'm going to take care of it. It'll be all right. Well, I also, to be honest, I felt like, well, I think it's brilliant that they make Luke a flawed character from the For beginning. Sure. And the, the nature of Luke and June's relationship is is terribly flawed. And also, they, they did talk about during the Q&A that that will come up really? uh, in in season two. They did, Interesting. They did touch on that briefly, that, uh, you know, because their, their relationship was born out of an affair. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is messy. And also that... Makes Luke a little bit of a hard character to root for. It also makes Offred a little bit of a hard character to root for uh, at times. I get frustrated with Offred, too. They made these characters uh, interesting, complicated, imperfect, at times selfish people. Absolutely. <laughs> and and that's, that's, that kind of bring, that kind of highlights the reality, the hyper-reality that we're supposed to take away from this show. For sure. Now, I will I will tell you one of the highlights when I was running down the news yesterday is the story, and you were there, so I want to get your perspective on this, uh, that Warren Littlefield, being the um, professional TV man that he is, having run NBC for a long time, obviously knows how to pitch a show and promote a show, and one of my, the quotes that I saw yesterday was that he just blatantly came out and said, with not following it up with anything, but anyone can die, and he just left it at that. Yep. <laughs> He did, say, he did say anyone can die. And I was like, 
sold. Great. Cool. <laughs> let's, let's find out. Let's find out who next. But, I mean, there, there's other shows that you can say that about, too. But I, I think Warren Littlefield is uh, funny and smart and knows he knows the right thing to say. Oh, absolutely. And I just thought it was hilarious. I, I was like, of course it was Warren Littlefield that said that. Uh, like, just And then just left it hanging out there. Oh, I know. And and it was great that he left it hanging out there, too, because the the audience had a great reaction to that. And he was like, I said what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I, you know, in that same article I was reading, they said Bruce Miller had a nice follow up to it, though, where he was like, you know, and sometimes the worst thing for somebody that's in Gilead is not to die and they have to live yes. there. And I was like, that's so true. Yes. This place sucks. You don't want to die. You don't want to live. All you want to do is get the hell out of there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, Bruce definitely picked up the ball. And uh, I thought that was a great thing that he said, because if you look at the show, it is true. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you in Gilead. Clearly. No, and I, I think that's part of why much of their punishment doesn't involve killing anyone. And I think it's because they know that that's being there is, you know, worse punishment than being dead. It doesn't do them any good for you to be dead. Well, and the other thing, too, is they still need to exploit people. They still need these people to exist. Yes. So they can't be dead, but they can be maimed. And, you know, you kind of see, I think, the audience realizing that just at kind of the same time that Offred does, where that's kind of the flaw in their system, is that they treat all these people so terribly, but in the end, they need them for the survival of this society, right? So she gets yeah. pregnant, and then all of a sudden, you just feel this power shift. And it's like, oh, this is interesting, because now you're seeing that, you know, your society, which is like, so in the beginning... That's the other thing that I always found interesting was at the beginning, it's so rigid, right? And it's so tense. And everything is like so by the book. And as you go, you get to see the, the human element and what happens in a society that tries to lock everything down so tight and make it so strict that in the end, it's just untenable, you know, because people are people and you just see things, the cracks start to form and people just start to really just start doing their own thing and getting their self-interest and other people's, you know, the power shifting. So it's just real, really interesting to see that, that shift in the end of the season. I know. I, I am very intrigued by the power dynamics of season two. I feel like it's going to be a, a real wild ride. That's awesome. So any more highlights uh, from the evening as far as Q&A goes? I think that's, that's the bulk of what I've heard as far as major highlights. You know, Gilead is within you and has one little fifth that anyone can die. Taking, I think he's taking a Game of Thrones page there where, you know, at least for the first three seasons anyway, don't get used to your yeah. characters. Don't fall in love with anyone. And, and the, uh, the, the, this, this theme of, of motherhood and the, the game that they're all participating in with this unborn child, I mean, I feel like that can go in so many different directions and it, it made me really, really excited. In terms of what else was great about the Q&A was um, someone asked, uh, each of the people on stage, if they, if Gilead really happened, where do they see themselves <laughs> in it? And uh, both Madeline Brewer and Bruce Miller said they'd be dead. And then they, uh, so they kind of went down the line. Most people said that they, that, you know, maybe they could last a little while, but they probably end up dead until you got to Amanda Bruegel because uh, Yvonne Strahovski was sitting next to Amanda Bruegel. Yvonne Strahovski was like, I feel like I can't say that I want to be a wife because I can't like my character. And then Amanda Brewer goes, nope, I want to be a wife. Like, that's ah. fun. I want the nice outfit. I want the good food. I want, you know, she, she was hilarious. That's she was, awesome. She was so good. And, every, I mean, everybody was great, but they did uh, – no one could really see themselves 
like making it. Yeah. But I think it's because they don't want to because they know how the brutality of the show sure. they want to imagine themselves in it. So Yeah, so tell um, me tell me about the fan questions. How many uh, actual fan questions did they get in? Uh there were uh, there were only 3. Uh so one of them was cuz they did run a we uh, are a little bit late. Um you know, these things happen. Sure. Uh but there were there were three questions. So one was about um Gilead, uh, one question was specifically for Yvonne Strahovski, and uh, it was about, does Serena Joy truly believe in what she uh, expounds upon about the, about the role of women in society, and, or do you think it's just that she was just going along with it uh, because what she knows, and not because, and, and beca- or because she wanted to have some kind of power mm-hmm. uh, in, in The Sons of Jacob? And her answer was really good. She's like, I, she had said, Yvonne Strahovski elaborated and said that she did believe that Serena Joyce saw society crumbling around her. She thought, if I can motivate women to reproduce and use their, their, their biological uh, gift, then, you know, I can help save the world, basically. Like, I can help do, um, and in a terrible way but it, it she probably had optimistic hopeful intentions in the beginning before she wrote her book a woman's place huh. um so there was uh there was that and then um though for i actually completely like told the questions out of order because the first question uh went to bruce miller um about uh about what about Margaret Atwood uh, and and how much she allows them to do that? Because it was one of those three part questions where someone <laughs> asked. Yeah, no, but it was a, a lovely woman who did it. She was not obnoxious. I think she was just really excited. Um, and but she did want to hear about you know Margaret Atwood's involvement in uh, the script, which Bruce Miller told us was uh, you know gives, gives them too much freedom sometimes. Uh, but that. Uh, and then talking about how many women are involved in the writer's room, how many women directors they have, and what are his takeaways from that. And that's really where I heard him speak about the the openness uh, between the, the uh, female actors and the writers and the directors to be able to talk with the men who work on the show about their perspectives and how that informs the script, but also conversations about race informing the script. And there's, you know, a good, nice, open dialogue. Uh, between talent, writers, showrunners, directors, and I thought that was really lovely. Awesome. Well, that's cool. It sounds like everybody had a great time. And I saw they sent out, so Paley Center sent out to uh, some of the outlets, including us, uh, this photo or login for this photo collection where they just basically dumped all the photos that they took that night. And it looked really cool because there was like, you know, they came, let people come up to the stage and get photos and autographs and the cast looked like they were totally into it and signing everybody's autograph books and taking selfies with everybody and taking group shots with everybody. So it looked like it was just really came off as a great time. It just makes me jealous that we're stuck here in St. Louis and I couldn't be there. Like the second the Q&A was over, they just jumped out of their seats and they bum rushed the stage and it was madness. There was, I mean, you couldn't even get down there, <laughs> um, you know, cause I, I was sitting kind of, they, I was sitting further back. So um, the, by the time I stood up out of my seat, there was like, an ocean of people down the front, you know, taking pictures and they had handmade tail posters and they, you know, they just were thrilled. They That's were awesome. they were thrilled to be there and it was it was a really 
a lovely sight to see, seeing people passionate about television, um, about this kind of storytelling. And it was just, it was just a wonderful opportunity. And uh, thank you again for uh, having me go and do this because it was a real treat. No, that, I, we appreciate it. Trust me, being, like I said, landlocked here and uh, having most of the major press events and stuff like this happen on the coast, we don't get a lot of opportunity, but now that we have met you and are, uh, we are very happy to have you as our West Coast correspondent, if you will, and uh, look forward to more things coming up in the future, hopefully. Uh, so we appreciate you doing it for us. Lindsay Copeland, a West Coast correspondent, director of the film Hedgehog, starring Madeline Brewer and Dowd. Uh, you can buy it and rent it at all the uh, online places. We thank you very, very much, and uh, we will obviously be in touch. You can uh, also find Lindsay and I co-hosting uh, the female... All right, ready? I'm going to try and say this right the first time. <clears throat> female Filmmaker Friday's interview series. All right, I got it. We just posted our interview with Jess Goldberg, who's the creator of The Path on Hulu. And uh, you can find that if you are subscribed to our uh, podcast for Made It. And that show, if you've never watched that show, if you're out there and you're looking for a show that kind of has a similar creepy religious overtone creep vibe to it, um, that is definitely the show to watch. Uh, the way we talk, we even said this on the interview. I was like, it's very like parenthood with a cult involved. Um, so... <laughs> If you're if you're looking for something like that, if you're looking to bridge the gap between The Handmaid's Tale, Parenthood, and the cult, that, that's that's what you got. It's a fantastically done show, so definitely check that out. Lindsay, uh, thank you again for uh, being our representation out there at Paley Fest and giving us all the info. Uh, we're going to put up a page with some photos and some video that Lindsay took at the event. So you can look for all that on our social media feeds at uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can follow us at at Handmade Podcast, at Handmade, like Handmaid's Tale, at Handmade Podcast. And uh, we will put it up there and put it to the top of the profile so you can check it out. Until next time, this is Justin for Mayday and Lindsay. All right, everybody, we'll see you later. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Please head over to allconsumingcontent.com for more great podcasts. You can check out Back to the Money Bin, a DuckTales podcast, Player vs. Player podcast, and Blues Hockey podcast. You can also check out our radio station at Handmaid's Resistance Radio that is on Slacker Radio or for free on the Slacker app.